It's Aspen Ideas To Go from the Aspen Institute. I'm Trisha Johnson. When it comes to the largest sources of pollution in the world, the apparel industry is near the top of the list. The textile sector emits more greenhouse gases than the combined industries of international shipping and aviation, reports Vice News. Eileen Fisher, who started her name brand company three decades ago, advises consumers to hang on to clothes longer. I heard that if we wear our clothes um, twice as long, then we can personally reduce our own carbon footprint by 24%. In today's show, we hear from Fisher and Patagonia CEO, Rose Marcario. Aspen Ideas To Go brings you compelling talks from onstage events hosted by the Aspen Institute. The Institute is a nonpartisan forum for values-based leadership and the exchange of ideas. Today's discussion is from the Aspen Ideas Festival. Before an article of clothing ends up on the rack at your favorite store, it's possible it moved around the globe. A garment may be designed in one country, manufactured in another, and sold in yet another. People are buying more clothes than they used to and throwing more away. Clothing production has skyrocketed thanks in part to fast fashion or inexpensive trendy clothing. Eileen Fisher and Rose Macario lead companies focused on sustainability. In their conversation with Tammy Simon, they talk about the kinds of clothes and materials to avoid, women as leaders, and businesses becoming activists. Simon is CEO of the multimedia company Sounds True. Here's Simon. To begin, I think as many of us know, the apparel industry as, is known for being one of the dirtiest industries. It's known for being a huge polluter of the environment. Yet both of these companies, Patagonia and Eileen Fisher, are very committed to cleaning up their supply chain and doing what they can to not be part of the problem, but to actually be part of the solution. And we're going to begin by hearing from both Rose and Eileen about some of the innovative moves they've made in the leadership of their respective organizations to that end. And we'll start with Rose. Great. It's great to be here with my friends, Tammy and Eileen. Um, yeah, so I'm going to talk just for a couple of minutes about some of the challenges. And I think this is, um, this is not the sexy part of building product, but supply chains are everything. And they're, they're a big part of what Tammy was talking about in terms of like the impact that it's the environmental impact it's having. And I think most Customers don't realize that they are making a vote with their dollars every time they purchase something. And just how powerful that vote is. Um, This is a fair trade factory. We were one of the first big apparel brands to actually um, go and use fair trade as a mechanism to get... Um, to get more premiums to workers. Um, This is actually a photograph of a childcare center that was built with a fair trade premium. So workers decide what happens with the premiums and they wanted to build a childcare center. And I think it's it's a great representation of like, fair trade is a step in the journey of everything that we need to do in order to make it more fair for workers. And um, I like this picture because it's showing a recycled down supply chain and it's very manual work to create these new supply chains. But, you know, we're using the resources. If everyone were to consume at the rate that the U.S. consumes, we'd be using the resources of four planets. And that's a reality that we all have to come to grips with, is this, this isn't an endless 
supply of water and fossil fuel and synthetic fabrics, and we can't have virgin supply chains for the rest of our lives. It's just not going to happen with the rate of consumption. So this, I think, is a, is a recycled down supply chain, but it just goes to show you like the manual intensity of building some of these supply chains. I like it as a photo. You know, our customers have um, a contract with us when they buy product from us, and part of that is getting their product repaired if it's, um, if it's broken or needs fixing. And we've been studying supply chains for 30 years, and, you know, the most important thing that you can do in terms of environmental impact is to keep your stuff longer. And these centers repair, our global centers around the world, repair about 60,000 units a year. Um, and um, they do great work. And people like to keep their gear. It's part of their adventures and part of their life, and they enjoy it. So um, we also will stand up for what we believe in. We've been giving to grassroots activism to protect air, water, and soil and conserve um, wild places for more than 30 years. And this was part of a campaign we ran last year, and um, we'll continue to to do that, I think it's part of our customer proposition, and I think it's part of what it means to be a brand. I mean, you have to stand for something. Uh, this is just a really cool picture of a dog on a car, um, <laughs> which I like. But it's also, <laughs> this year we also started our warnware.com uh, site, which is where customers can buy used um, gear if they'd like. And I, I think a big part of, this is a, this is a big movement now, you know, apparel, Companies need to take responsibility for their product from end to end, and that means having a life for it when it's done with use or recycling it or reusing it. And um, this program's been really successful for us, and it give, brings us a whole new customer, and it's a whole idea around re-commerce. Um, and I think uh, most, most brands, if they're not paying attention to this, will probably not be around in the next you know, 10 or 15 years, in my view. Um, and then this is um, something new we did this year um, that hopefully will help inform the conversation a little bit, which is just connect our customers locally with the environmental grantees. These are the groups that are protecting air, water, and soil, or public lands in their local communities. Because one of the biggest things that we heard, especially after the elections, is what can we do to work in our own community around environmental issues? So that encapsulates some of the things we've been working on. I'm going to pass it over to you, Eileen. Thanks, Rose. Great. Oh, do I tell And I'm wearing your shirt one? today. Thank you. Beautiful. That color's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Wonderful. Great. Thanks, Tammy. Thanks, Rose. This yeah. is fun to be here. So what, what we do um, is we have been making designing clothes for 35 years, and the basic concept originally was um, timeless, simple clothing that is good quality materials that lasts a long time, that hopefully doesn't go out of fashion, that, so that you want to do what Rose said, you know, um, buy what you love and live with it longer, we say. So, um, uh, so the way we look at, um, and Rose was talking about end-to-end -end, uh, the, with the manufacturing, we start um, by looking at everything, starting with seeds, um, farmers, um, you know, animals, um, uh, fibers, dye houses, um, 
uh, everything. Uh, and we look at trying to green all of our materials. Um, four years ago or so, we um, committed to what we call Vision 2020, which was that we wanted to be a 100% sustainable company, uh, which is a huge, impossible dream. And there are places where it just doesn't happen. Um, things like transportation. Uh, anyway, we can go into challenges, but um, until there are uh, sailboats that can really go quickly across the ocean uh, or manufacturing in this country, we're still struggling with transportation. And so we do things like offsets. So it's a little bit of a cheat, but at least we try to cover our costs by buying wind energy. Um, so anyway, this I want to show, I want to just say one other thing. So because we think of it as circular, we think of it as whole, we think we're responsible from start to finish, uh, we um, started a take-back program eight years ago. And that program uh, um, is also what uh, Patagonia is doing. We take back the clothes, we clean them, and we resell them. And it's, an, it's another whole little business. Um, and what ended up happening after years of doing this is that we had mountains and warehouses full of clothes that we didn't want to put in the landfill that we um, uh, were committed to figuring out what to do with. So we started this tiny factory. And we are remaking, upcycling, these clothes that we couldn't sell. So, you know, it's a really creative process. Like, you can play with things that you can't sell, things that are left over um, because they have stains or whatever. And so you can cut up cashmere and, you know, uh, linen and silk, things that you would never, you treat very preciously. But you can play. And so what ended up happening is we started playing. And we, uh, one of our, actually my very first employee, Siggy, um, found this felting machine and started uh, running the recycled clothes through the felting machine and created these most amazing things. So I guess I, I'm going to show that project. And I just want to say that it's so exciting to see what happens when you have a problem and you, know, and you dive into it. And then really creative and interesting solutions happen. So, so here's showing what normally happens uh, with the clothes. So we, our, our second largest export from this country is used clothing. Um, so we ship to Africa and, you know, probably South America and lots of other places. Now uh, many countries in Africa are saying no more of your stuff, you know, and because of it's ruining the craft industries and, you know, things like that. So, um, and it's also ending up in their landfill, what they can't sell. So we tried to demonstrate this with this exhibit. Uh, this was in Milan at the design show. Uh, and so we showed how the clothes are shipped in crates, and, um, and then we showed what we were doing with the clothes that was left, and so, that were left. So here's, so people coming in to see and, you know, experience the sense of, oh my God, what is this? This is the way, this is the waste that we create. But what's so interesting is that you can actually make it into art. It's just incredible. And for us, because we start with beautiful fabrics, it was just too painful to think of throwing them away. And so to make them into like these wall pieces that we're selling, actually, um, that, that are like actually a little bit pricey, which, which is great, you know, because it's really just, you know, it's like art from trash, you know. And so pillows we're making, we're, we're making some clothes. 
it's very magical what happens, and there's no, um, there's no glue, there's no water used in this. It's just a machine that does use energy, but it just punches the, the fabric together. And so, you know, you can mix fibers. Um, it's a really interesting recycle, upcycle idea. So I guess I'd just like to say, I, I've always said this from the very beginning when we have a problem, um, that we, you know, dive in and try to figure out, you know, be really creative and figure out what's, what we can do, and out of it, you know, comes the maybe secret to the next success or, you know, problems become possibilities. So we think people have been saying you could double your business without making any more clothes just by taking your old clothes back and re remaking them. So we don't know if that's true yet, but we have a lot of uh, excitement around this project, so we'll see. So anyway, that's a start. Wonderful. Thank you both. I'd love to start our conversation by getting an education from both of you about fabrics and what fabrics you consider to be green ah. and which ones you just wouldn't touch or wouldn't work with. And I'd especially be interested from a consumer guide standpoint. I know when I was getting dressed this morning uh, and I wasn't quite sure what to wear. And I was like, you know, my shoes have some patent leather on. That's probably not going to work. And then I looked at all the rest of my shoes and I was like, I don't know if my hemp sandals, you know, go with what I'm wearing. I felt confused. Oh, yeah. So uh, obviously by Eileen Fisher, by Patagonia. But beyond that, when we look at labels, what's a good consumer guide to be looking for? Oh, my God. Well, I'll tell you the couple that I know are, you know, just crystal clear. Um, one is organic cotton versus oh, ca chemical cotton. Right, right. There's no question or, about that. The amount of pesticides used in, you know, um, chemical cotton agriculture are some of the worst um, polluting chemicals in the world. And um, so that's a pretty straightforward okay. one. Um, we're now looking at can we grow cotton regeneratively and actually sequester more carbon and have better retention of water in the soil and things like that. Um, you know, we, we've done life cycle analysis on synthetics. Synthetics last, tend to last longer. So you have a durability versus, yeah. um, versus potentially, um, especially for the things that our folks do. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, every product and fiber causes some level of harm or has some input. But I'd say cotton versus chemical is um, without question. Um, I think any kind of animal product like wool in a sustainable uh, ecosystem is important. Um, and, you know, I, I don't, you know, hemp is a great fabric because it uses very little, um, uh, any kind of, um, you know, pesticides or insecticides. So, so hemp is a good overall industrialized. Hemp is a great product as well and you know in terms of fabrics I don't know what would you say Eileen yeah um, more of a designer than well <laughs> we're, we're we're kind of in, in different worlds and I struggle with this because we pretty much try not to do synthetics yeah you know so um uh I always felt that synthetics don't break down in the environment so maybe mm -hmm. they last longer but if you recycle you take them back and, you know, turn them into a circular. So working with companies that are actually doing what you're doing, mm -hmm. even with synthetics, then, mm -hmm. you know, that, that seems like a, an okay thing to do. Mm -hmm. But me personally, I was always feeling like it was okay just to have natural fibers. So I'd always just buy natural fibers, mm -hmm. linen, silk, wool, cashmere, whatever. Um, and I like to just buy, I just do things that I think 
um, uh, go back into the environment. They're biodegradable, so that's sort of where I start. But actually, like you said about cotton, mm-hmm. o- only 1% of cotton is organic. Mm-hmm. So if you, it, just buying cotton, you, you know, how do you, you know, you have to find out if the cotton is organic. Most cotton is not organic, obviously. Mm-hmm. So if you could commit to buying organic cotton, that would be a great start. Um, it limits your sources, but if you could go online and see organic cotton. Um, uh, we do organic linen. Mm-hmm. Um, silks, I think, are pretty good. They last a long time. Um, but we could talk about the worms. That's another story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and um, dyes are a problem. You know, it's all, it's, it, it all has its problems. Um, we, we look at what we call eco-preferred, so try to make things that are made in the best possible way, safer dyes. We go at the chemistry and the dye houses and try, but we've, we're um, not as far along as we'd like to be in that mm-hmm. world. That's where we need partnership, but we can talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, li- I love linen. It, you know, it's summertime, so linen is amazing. <laughs> linen lasts a really long time. Yeah. I mean, they wrap mummies in it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, has a, 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 you know, I have linen pieces that are like 20 years old. I've washed them and cleaned them, and they, you wouldn't know it. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and silk can be like that, too, except for that silk seems to gravitate toward oil. So it ends up, you know, getting spots on it. But it's still an amazing fabric that it's like, like diamonds. It's really tough fabric, so... I like good quality materials. So I think if you buy things that are good quality then, and that, they la- that last, that's, that's a, so that you can buy less. I heard that if we wear our clothes um, twice as long, then we can personally reduce our own carbon footprint by 24%. It's Aspen Ideas to Go. Thanks for listening. What is it that nature provides that we can't live without? Medicine, a sense of place, even happiness? Kia Kraus writes about nature and science. Nature was the first place that humans had to thrive in. So we look to nature for a lot of solutions, even though we tend to not take very good care of it. She's featured in our latest offstage series on the relationship humans have with nature. The episodes feature presenters from Spotlight Health in intimate conversations about nature's effect on health and survival. Find the episodes by searching Aspen Ideas to Go in your favorite podcast player. Let's get back to the show. Here's Tammy Simon. Well, first of all, I think this is very helpful, this idea of going for eco-preferred versus eco-perfect. I noticed I relaxed quite a lot when you said that. Mm -hmm. So in the Mm eco-preferred world, what are the biggest challenges you're currently focused on? Like, this is a challenge where we can make real progress in the X number of years. So we're tackling it. We're going at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's always building new supply chains because building new supply chains is really expensive. You know, yeah. you have very little demand usually. <laughs> um, you're, you're testing, you know, fabrics or fibers or whatever. So for us, it's really about building new supply chains that have less of an environmental impact or can be restorative, 
like regenerative organic cotton or something like that, yeah. or hemp, where it's you know has could have a uh, regenerative effect on the planet instead of a degrading effect on the planet. So you know it's it's just building those supply chains because most of them don't exist or they exist on a very small scale. And I think Eileen yeah, and I were talking about this this morning. It's like you know that's that's where I think collaboration with yeah. the rest of the apparel industry was is really important because at the end of the day we need to shift to these more responsible supply chains and we need more um, brands to come on board to do that. Tell me more what you mean when you say a responsible or an ecologically positive supply chain. I mean, I hear the words and I'm imagining farm regenerative agriculture, but I don't know if I really know what it means. Yeah. Well, I think if you're looking at your supply chain and where your fibers come from, you know is, is the process that they're using, using the tremendous amount of water, is the dye poisoning, are they... You know, you, I mean, you have to look at all the aspects of the supply chain and, and seek to reduce that impact. And sometimes there's innovation that can reduce it altogether. Um, waterless dyeing technologies and other types of technologies that kind of impact the overall industry. And I think, you know, investing in innovation um, and investing in supply chains that are better or restorative, I think. I think where we need to start going is regeneration uh, because we've done so much damage to the planet, to watersheds, to land, that we really need to be focusing on regenerating it. And the earth is really good at regenerating itself if we create the conditions for it to do that. And so I think that's kind of more where we're looking at, you know, it's not enough to be organic cotton. We have to be regenerative organic yeah. cotton, you know, and, yeah. and that's the kind of thing that we're looking at. And, you know, hemp supply chains that are more restorative to the environment. Um, yeah, it's, we live in an interconnected world. Yeah. And the kind of consumption that we're doing now, which is mostly based on, you know, getting the lowest price from the supplier, yeah. isn't good for people or the planet. I mean, that's the bottom line. You know, which is why I think people have a tremendous amount of power to vote, to vote with their dollars for the things that matter. And, and like Eileen said, to buy things that last. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. Yeah, I think um, two things I want to say. Uh, one is what we're struggling with, but the other is back to that buy things that last and what not to buy. To be extra cautious around anything that's too trendy or anything... And, to be careful around fast fashion, mm -hmm. you know they, it, you know most fast fashion brands do not use organic cotton. You know they don't use as much quality fibers. They create styles that go out of fashion in a year, and so you don't get that longevity. So be careful around that. It's possible, I suppose, to buy some good things in fashion if you're really discerning in the fast fashion places. So, mm -hmm. um, and I, one other thing in terms of what we, one of the things that was like currently top of mind for us is that we're struggling with rayon mm -hmm. um, because rayon, though it's cellulose, it's wood pulp, um, it's possible to, to have it be regenerative. Cellulose is purchased, is, it's bought in bulk. So when you, when as a manufacturer we buy cellulose to make rayon, um, it's hard to trace it. And so most of it is not traceable rayon, which means that it could be tearing down the rainforest in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. So rayon, unless it's sustainably traced, like Tencel is good. There are some, you know, um, kinds of rayon that are good. What we're struggling with right now 
is our best-selling material is rayon. So we, uh, and our customers love it. This is terrible, but I'm wearing it. <laughs> you know, I'm wearing a jacket that's eight years old. It's organic cotton, but I'm wearing a, a rayon uh, jumpsuit um, that I just love. So it this is good. a weird, you know, this is a weird place to be because, you know, I'm just kind of emphasizing the point. Like customers are going to freak out if we stop making this fabric. <laughs> so we've been studying for several years now and actually finding we're, we're getting close to some new solutions that, that you know, we think are going to make it possible for us to get out of this one fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just being upfront, sure. we're committed to being 100% uh, eco-friendly, which means we're going to have to get out of this fabric by 2020. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're getting close. We're at 66%. Mm-hmm. You know, we were only at, yeah, thank you, thank you. It's big <laughs> for us because it's, it's, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. So... So we're getting there, and it's and it's a step by step thing. And that's mm-hmm. why what you were saying about working together. You know, we really appreciate Patagonia. We call them all the time. They have great information for us. You know, we like to think we inspire them every so often. But mm-hmm. uh, you do. <laughs> we had fun touring our tiny factory, um, but we like to get we, we're getting other um, apparel brands on board because it's a big project, mm-hmm. and you help us by by buying less and by voting with your wallet and mm-hmm. voting for the brands that are, are trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Now, both Eileen Fisher and Patagonia are B Corps, as I mentioned in the introduction. And it's obviously really important to both of you that your organizations are B Corps. Tell us why. Well, I think for us, it was partly that our founders wanted to enshrine the values of the company into the corporate charter, and it was an actual legal form to do that. Um, and there really wasn't a legal form existent before that. So it was, so Yvonne was like the first guy standing in line in California when it became a law. And, and then for us, I think, you know, we've always sort of been B Corp-like in terms of... <laughs> of uh, recognizing that we have a responsibility to more than just um, shareholders or financial shareholders, but uh, to the environment and to our planet and to people. And so to us, it's, it's a framework for that. It's also a like-minded community of companies, which is the really exciting part about it to me. And I've seen this in the last few years really get a lot of traction. And I think, you know, the current quarterly... Uh, financial model, you know, public corporation model is killing the planet. I mean, we're not going to grow indefinitely forever. And, you know, nothing happens in a quarter that's meaningful when you're running a business. <laughs> and, and, you know, letting only the financial shareholders make the decisions about how a company should be run and the impact on people and the planet, I think, is a road to hell. And if we stay in that in that um, direction, we're not going to have a planet worth living in. And I think the B Corp movement is probably the closest thing we have to changing that narrative and changing the way people think about what a corporation's responsibility is. Milton Friedman was wrong, by the way. <laughs> he was totally wrong <laughs> about you know the economy. And you know, I mean, we need a new form of capitalism. It doesn't mean there can't be capitalism anymore. Capitalism is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it needs to evolve. So. Yeah. I wonder if people, how many know what B Corp is? To be a B Corp, you have to be, um, meet certain standards. You have to 
measure your environmental and social impacts, and you have to meet certain criteria in order to be in it. So, uh, and, and, be, and when you're measuring, you're looking at things all the time, and we say measure what matters so that you can keep working on your goals. Like we're saying 66% eco-preferred, and, you know, 90-some percent organic cotton, things like that, so that we can keep, you know, raising the bar. Um, and that's what we'd like to see other companies join the B Corp movement. But also, I think what Rose is saying about, we talk about this, about changing the whole business model. And, and there's some signs of hope in the mainstream corporations because we're starting to see them um, responding to socially responsible impact investment. Um, we're seeing the ESGs. Um, being measured, starting to be measured in a lot of the large companies. Um, they know that there's risk involved with climate change and things of that nature, water use. So there's, there's uh, some interest. And here's another place people can vote with your dollars. You know, at some point, there's, gonna, there's an organization called SASB that's now um, measuring, um, getting corporations, they're helping corporations to measure their impacts. And so that there will be... Um, there will be numbers that will be possible at some point, I hope, in the not-too-far future to, to when you're investing to be able to know what the environmental uh, and social n- number is for the company. And the companies that rank higher in those areas are actually end up to be more successful companies. So that's going to be another um, part of the way we think about investing. So that's one way. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like what B Corp is doing on a, on a more mainstream Level, but it. But I also think what you were saying yesterday, if you remember, but or maybe this morning we were talking about um, the idea that business. If we think bigger about what business is for and the mm-hmm. possibilities of business really serving our society mm-hmm. in different ways, then we need a new business model. And then maybe it isn't just you know trying to make the most amount of money, but actually like what you were saying, Patagonia puts one percent towards innovation. You know, you put one percent toward the planet. Of your sales, that's mm-hmm. you know, like, um, well, that ha- you know, if that means instead of making seven percent profit, you make five percent, or you make less profit, you know, maybe that's really okay because really, is profit the only measure of success, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, how do we think differently about investing? And, and anyway, this is a, yeah. this is a different conversation. Right yeah. now, we're talking about the fashion industry, but it's all related. Mm-hmm. And just one further question about the B Corp movement, because I think it's just sort of getting liftoff right yeah. now. Yeah. And both of you are very instrumental in that. What do you see as its fruition? The B Corp movement was successful. This is what it did. If we were looking ahead and we said, you know, wow, look what the B Corp movement did. I think it's that customers, citizens, prefer to buy things from companies that are B Corps because Mm -hmm. they know they're taking into consideration something more than just financial uh, gain to the financial shareholder. Yeah, I would say that also that B Corp changed the model, the basic business model, because they basically have a pretty good model. So if everyone participated in B Corp, that would be changing, that would change the world. B Corp changed the world. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. This holiday season, if it's the thought that counts, there's no better gift than big ideas. 
Join us in late June in Aspen, Colorado to hear leading experts present world-changing plans, break down intractable problems, and have rich conversations with attendees. Register for the festival at aspenideas.org register. That's aspenideas.org register. A pass to ideas is the ultimate gift of an unforgettable experience. Register today. Here's the rest of today's conversation. So here we are. We're three women business leaders, <laughs> and we're not going to get out of this session without talking about that. I think it's, a, it's a self-evident and important. <laughs> what do you think would be different if there were more businesses that had women at the helm? Do you think anything would be different? If so, what would be different? Yeah. Well, well I, I talked about this a little bit yesterday. I don't know if anybody was at the... Uh session on women, women investing in women. Um, uh, actually, uh, Kevin O'Leary from uh, Shark Tank was there. Did anybody see this? Yeah, okay, so I don't have to totally repeat, but a little bit. He was saying that just from a pure business case in his personal experience that um, uh, women's businesses are actually making more profit long term. Uh, so uh, and he, his his point about that was that women are more realistic about their goals or something, and they um, they uh, they make they don't they don't stretch as much in terms of their goals, and so they're more likely to meet their goals. Um, but actually, what he was saying then is that, and which is what I where I agree is that um, that it's a little slower approach. It's a little more long term. Um, approach, and I think about my own business as very organic the way I grew, and so it was it was never like a wild risk so but it was also I think that women work in more collaborative ways, and i don 't think that men can 't or don 't I just think the business system was built that the guys built the business system, and I know we have a lot of guys in the room, but it was built without the women, you know? So it's not that we would do it better. It's just that we would bring the missing piece, which has to do with a, a little more, um, you know, kind of, I want to say, whole picture of looking at the people in the planet. And it's not that the men can't do that and don't, but that the, the system has been so built around profit and making money and, you know, kind of almost like a... Uh, like a baseball team, everyone does their piece, you know, rather than like a, like a family. And it, it really can't be quite like a family. It's got to be something in between, um, which is why we need men and women. Um, so it's sort of this, I just think it would be more, more whole uh-huh. and the priorities would shift. You know how they say in, um, in developing countries, if they give money to women, that um, that the women take care of their communities. They give to their children. They, you know, the community thrives. Sorry, guys, but when they give to the guys, the guys take care of themselves, and they may squander the money or something like that, and not necessarily take care of the family and the community. So I think women take care of they, you know, they take care of the people and the company and in the supply chains, and you know, um, it's not exclusive to women. It's just the, it's just. The balancing piece would really be different, and I think business and society would would thrive and um, All right. be better. 
B Corp women. Okay, Rose, what, what do you think? I, I think it's a lot about uh, what Eileen said. I mean, I think my own personal experience is that women CEOs or women colleagues are, are more likely to collaborate on things. They're less worried about defending their territory, and they're more interested in, like, well, how can we solve these big intractable problems, and what would that look like? And, and they're more connected to the idea that we're living in an interconnected world, and you can't, you know, do something over here in a, in a compartment and have it not affect, you know the air, the water, the soil, the people, the children, the, you know, it's a, it's just, it's a, it's a, I think it's a kind of different worldview. And I think like Eileen has said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of the way that the current structure is set up. that's kind of set up in a one-sided view of, and part of that's just the structure. Like, like I really actually, I really believe in capitalism and I I was a former CFO and I like making money and I like profit and I, you know, everybody is successful, you know, people get, you know, good jobs and it's just that, you know, it's not like that's it and that's a compartment and you're going to stay in that. I mean, I think we can see, I mean, like I said earlier, you know, if we could, if we're using up the resources of four planets, like at some point things need to evolve and change. They just have to. And I think women are more tuned into that. I mean, at least anyway, the women that I've talked to about it. So, Well, Rose, I want to just make sure that I understand because you said capitalism needs to evolve. Yeah. What is that, if you could just say succinctly, the evolutionary move that would be a new kind of capitalism that wouldn't have the uh, injuries that our current system? Well, I, I think, it's a, I think it's, it's, it's a lack of imagination to think that you can only serve one interest. And right now, that's the way we think. We can only serve the financial shareholder. We must bow down to the financial shareholder. Which, of course, you have to serve the financial shareholder. But then there's also the planet, and there's people, and the environment. Is it okay to just serve the financial shareholder and then destroy the planet? It seems just logical to me that you have to open up the way of viewing capitalism to include caring about more things. It just doesn't seem simple. It's just that the whole system is so entrenched in this, like, quarterly earnings report. And, I mean, I used to do it. I was a CFO. I mean, I used to, like, fight to get to the EPS number. It's stupid. It's crazy. It's, it's suicidal. It's really suicidal. Okay. One more question. And we're gonna <laughs> Am I a bummer? I'm sorry. No, well, no. no. I mean, if we, ideas. If we only, sorry, <laughs> you're, you're making some really good points. And if we only serve the shareholder, yeah, no. the shareholder won't be here right. for X number of years. That's so right. We're yeah. going to open it up for questions in just a couple of minutes. But I want to ask you one question before we do. In my view, every business, every brand stands for something. It has a voice. Whether people proclaim that or they just let customers look at it and say, that's, that's what I associate with that company. That's what they stand for. I'd love to hear from both of you as the people who are animating these brands from the inside. What, in your view, does Patagonia stand for? What's its voice in the world? And same for Eileen Fisher. Well, I think it's, it's, a, it's proof that business can be a force for good in the world. And I think, you know, we've always stood for the protection and conservation of wild places. Yeah, and I think we stand for simplicity and um, uh, timeless, I like to think creative, timeless design, um, and for women, for um, 
helping women to just simply be themselves. Beautiful. All right, let's open it up. Yes, in the back there. Hi, thank you for what you do. Um, you've been talking a lot about how obviously your ethos and ethics um, are beneficial for the planet, how, as it turns out, it even is beneficial financially. Can you talk a little bit about what you see internally? How does this affect your employees, whether it's commitment, um, productivity, morale, retention? Just if you could talk a little bit about how that affects your organization internally. Yeah, our... our um Retention of employees is is amazing. I think most people want to work for a brand that they respect. And um, we got, I don't know how many requests for interns this year, but we only had, I don't know how many spots, but we got something like almost 10,000 oh <laughs> requests for people to become wow. interns. Uh. And I'm hearing this all from all over from other CEOs. You know, it's like the, when they when they become a benefit corporation, they all of a sudden have you know, they have a lot of interest in new workers wanting to work for companies that share their values. So I think that's the new reality, actually. Yeah, I, I, I confirm that, too. We have a really good retention rate. We've had employees forever. I mentioned my very first employee still with us. Um, but uh, I think people really want to work for purpose-driven companies where it feels meaningful, like you go to work and it's, you know, and, and whatever you're doing, if you're building something bigger or better for the world, it just feels, it feels more, more right. And it doesn't mean it's easy. You know, it's mm-hmm. pretty hard work, and we have all kinds of issues around everything we try to do. It's still difficult. But I think the, 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 the passion around it is very, is very palpable. Um, I work in an, in an alternative high school, and... I was fascinated with your recycling of clothes and there's so many creative students in our school and I'm thinking about that felting machine. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that could come into schools and, and you, know, you know, we could have makers in the schools? Yes, that would be great. Actually, we're going to do some training, I think, of some students from Parsons, but somebody told me the other day that there are attachments you can get for the sewing machine that felt, so that might be good for the students, <laughs> you know, as a way to upcycle or to, to try that process. Yeah, but they have also small little three-foot machines. You can call someone. i give you a card. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. Over here, this gentleman. Wearing my favorite Patagonia shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you deal with current kind of retail distribution trends and packaging, Amazon being the best example of the giant box with the layers and layers of packaging to have, you know, the Patagonia fleece in the bottom of it. How are you putting pressure on that to kind of marry with the values of the brand? Yeah, I mean, we we have um, been struggling with the, the packaging, especially the packaging that goes over our clothes that we ship because um, it goes it goes through a conveyor process to sort, and if if you don't have it in a package, then it gets dirty and messed up, and so you have more waste. So it's partly a, 
an issue of just finding the right materials. And it's so funny because these are the kinds of things that I feel like if we collaborated on as an industry, yeah. we yes. could fix so quickly. Yes. You know, because it's really innovation. It's innovating a different kind of packaging or it's innovating a different kind of processing and machinery. And we've made a lot of strides, but we're not as far along as I'd, I'd like to be. You know, we don't actually sell to Amazon, but there are third-party sellers that sell on Amazon. So yeah. we, get, yeah. we get stuck in there. But. Yeah. I, yeah, and just to speak to that, we, you know, we struggle also with that, yeah. and I, I know our teams are on it, and I don't know exactly where we are with the packaging or recycled, whatever, how, how that's working right now. But um, one of the things that we've struggled a lot with, we sell a lot to department stores, and this is where working yeah. together makes a difference because, you know, they, they actually deduct costs. If they deduct fees from your payments if you don't ship on plastic hangers with plastic mm-hmm. bags on plastic hangers. So that is something that's built into the industry. Mm-hmm. And so we have been working and actually shipping flat pack. Um, we've moved to 80% shipping flat pack. I think we only ship jackets and a few things on the hangers so that they don't have to be re-steamed when they get to the store. But, um, uh, but they, we struggle with the department stores on and negotiate those fees mm-hmm. because of that. Uh, create some extra work on that end. So, but we need better solutions, and there's plastic bags, and I know we've been working on that too. I don't know what the plastic is, whether it's recycled right now, but I know I dropped into a meeting years ago where they were working on that, so I can't speak to the answer, but I know that the teams are working all around. Uh, you know. Hi, uh, Judy Samuelson with the Business Society Program here at the Institute. Uh, my question's about consumers. So, your two companies, of course, appeal to consumers like me. I've got money in my pocket. I've got choice. I can go higher end if I choose to. The Most of the world of fashion is driven by, it seems to me, consumer desire, which we all share for, you know, price and lower price and, and convenience. So yeah. what what are you thinking, I guess, today about a consumer. Does a consumer lead you? Are you leading a consumer? And what do you think about your peers who are serving more of a mass market? Oh. We try not to put anybody down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, what we've found just through our own research is that um, kind of millennial and younger are actually willing to pay more for something that they feel is... Um, uh, more a lower environmental footprint um, and I, I think part of that has to do with the fact that they have a lot more information at their fingertips than we did and they understand the issues that are happening right now and you know they believe in climate the climate crisis that's going on and you know they're, they're just I think they're more conscious consumers actually um, but you know we've we have our worn wear programs. We have different ways for people to enter into the brand. Even you know, it, it, you know, the reality is, if you buy a two dollar t shirt, it's likely that that person who made it, that labor was exploited. You know, that the dye poisoned the ri- local river. You know, th- there are impacts to buying cheap. There are external impacts to it, and. You know, I, I, it, it's, it's a quality thing. I mean, 
and, and a longevity thing. And what I would hope is that people sort of start to change their patterns of consumption and start to keep things longer, care for them better. And maybe this is where we can partner more because yeah. education around, you know, uh, to the customer, to help the customer understand that if she keeps things longer, if she mm-hmm. buys more thoughtfully and carefully and things that last, if she looks at how much she's going to spend on clothing, if she tracks it and how much did she spend in a year, she could actually buy a few quality things even if she doesn't spend a lot of money on clothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one other, thing, one, one other thing that we have noticed is that we do get younger customers in our recycled clothing because it is mm-hmm. cheaper. Um, and, and because our clothes are, have a timelessness, if you're, good, if you're savvy, you can find old things that look like the new things. It's pretty mm-hmm. amazing. And um, the other thing is where we find um, the, the younger uh, customer that is a, more price conscious and has to be, um, we find that she buys our most simple system pieces. They're selling, it's the one place we seem to be reaching this younger customer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she understands the value, mm-hmm. the ones that do, and, and some do more than others. Mm-hmm. So education, but it would be great to have more education programs around yeah. buying, buying less, buying better, keeping your clothes longer, how you can personally reduce your, your carbon footprint. We have one final question from the audience. I can't possibly say all the things I would like to say to you. I, it's such an honor. <laughs> you, our parallels are remarkable. I have things from your very first collection. Sweet. I was in the business for years. You took me back and forth to Japan a million times <laughs> in a little easy I was inspired bag. there. <laughs> um, so I don't even want to start, but thank you so much for everything mm. you've done. And I think regarding this women thing, I think yeah. that balance and integrity at the helm this is a perfect illustration of what that creates. So thank mm-hmm. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And I think that's a beautiful <laughs> note nice wrap up to yeah. end on with our gratitude. Uh, I think all of our gratitude for both of you. Uh, within the uh, Buddhist tradition uh, that I've been trained, they talk about something called the Bodhisattva ideal. It's the person who puts themselves out for the benefit of all beings. And you two, in my view, really embody that. And it's a great joy to be with you. So thank you. Rose Mercario is president and CEO of Patagonia and Patagonia Works. Eileen Fisher is founder and chairwoman of Eileen Fisher, Inc., Tammy Simon founded Sounds True, a multimedia company with a mission of disseminating spiritual wisdom. Their conversation was held June 26th at the Aspen Ideas Festival. Make sure to subscribe to Aspen Ideas To Go wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Aspen Ideas year-round on Twitter and Facebook at Aspen Ideas. Today's show was produced by Marcy Krivenin and recorded by our team at the Aspen Institute. The Aspen Ideas Festival programming team is Kitty Boone, Keelene Bretman, Katie Cassetta, Libby Franklin, Brett Howley, Jamie Miller, and me. Our music is by Wonderly. I'm Trisha Johnson. Thanks for joining me.